Welcome to Trade Experts, flipping the script on the common narrative of international trade. We shine a light on the bright female leaders of this dynamic field in order for female voices to be heard and recognized equally in debates about trade policy, whether in the media, at conferences, or at negotiating tables worldwide. From trade policy, economics, and law to regulation, technology, and digital policy, these experts will be overlooked no more. Let's challenge the status quo. Hello and welcome to this episode on the Trade Experts podcast. I'm Kelly Kemock, your host, and today I will be interviewing four authors of the paper titled Beating the Odds, History of Women Leadership in International Organizations. The paper originated as a blog article for the Trade Experts website, and after making a few striking discoveries, the authors decided to continue and expand the research into a much more comprehensive paper. Today, I will be interviewing Maria Sokolova, Nicole Bivens Collinson, Zyra Cadente, and Alyssa DiCaprio. So, my name is Maria Sokolova, and I'm one of the trade experts. I'm a trade economist. I'm also a bit of a lawyer, and I consider myself as an interdisciplinary specialist because I bring research and numbers to the world of qualitative and policy advice. And I'm doing it masterfully as every trade expert does. Hi, I'm Nicole Bivens Collinson. I'm the president of international trade and government relations uh, for Sandler, Travis and Rosenberg. And I've been doing this for a long time as you can see from my white hair. Uh, and so I came to this, I've not really focused on gender studies. I've not looked at what women's roles have been before, but what I have done is having started in international trade and have been the only female that was sitting at a table with nothing but men for the longest time and even one trip to Turkey where I was the only female in a room of over 200 people in the business community, I realized how important it was to really support each other. I'm so happy to have been able to join the Trade Experts group and also focus on issues that are really much my passion. And I wanna lift women up and young women up especially. Well, I'm Zyra Kirante and I am currently the judicial law clerk to a judge in Baltimore City Circuit Court. Prior to uh, law school, I worked predominantly in the nonprofit sector. So I worked a lot on women empowerment and gender equality. I was involved um, in this research because I used to work for Nicole as an international trade intern um, in Sandra Travis and Rosenberg. And this was initially an assignment that she gave to me um, to do research on. And then um, obviously when I saw the data, it, it just, I guess, made me even more inspired to work on this project. And of course, um, I'm very thankful that they invited me to join. So it's been really um, valuable and um, I really appreciate it so far. Hey, I'm Alyssa DiCaprio. I'm head of trade and supply chain at R3. I work in technology. It's a blockchain company. Um, historically, I've looked at the role of gender in trade finance and how women access finance and use finance differently for men. Um, so I'm particularly interested in this kind of research, although I focus mainly on technology. I've been working with Maria uh, for a long time on, on different types of research. We got involved in this paper because of the observation that it, it appeared that there were increasing women leaders, 
but not at the multilateral level. And so we were interested in kind of diving in and seeing what that actually looked like. To begin, can we talk about how the blog idea had come about? So back in one of the trade experts meeting, we were discussing how great it could be if uh, the new leader of the WTO would be a woman. And it was all about the WTO, which made sense. It was very recent that their previous director has re has resigned. But I realized that I was at the, working at an institution which has had female leader, but then that was a very rare exception in my experience overall in the trade community. So I asked myself, what would be the bigger picture? If we're like, if we're placing so much emphasis of the next WTO leader to be a woman, would it be also the relevant question to be asked about other organizations? And so I wanted to know uh, how the situation was overall. And I reach out to trade experts to ask who else would be willing to learn with me uh, and who would be willing to find the answer to this question. And that's how Alisa and Nicole have jumped in on the project. How then did the blog expand into the more comprehensive paper? The original blog that we published with trade experts gained uh, a High, quite high traction, gained a lot of recognition, and was further on also republished in other uh, media, let's call it this way. And uh, the interest that not only us for, or just trade experts, but overall everyone actually exhibited to this topic uh, made us decide to actually carry on with the uh, more sophisticated research so not just having like a less anecdotal, but overview of the 30 original organizations that we looked into, but actually increasing to um, over a hundred organizations, like almost 130 organizations that we're looking into where UN is part of it, but there's also other important international organizations and look into the odds of women becoming leaders whether this situation that we have uncovered actually holds on at the broader scope and whether it's really true that uh, women are being rather outsourced to certain organizations and having a hard time becoming leaders in, the, in other organizations. And now we've been working on this research for a while. The first draft is due to come soon and we would be very interested in sharing our thoughts and our and the results, the findings of uh, our research with uh, everyone. How would increased female leadership in these organizations affect the industry and and women in general? Well, I think I think there's like a there's a couple of different issues, right? I mean, the the first is. In, in trade and economics, as you go up the ladder, there's fewer and fewer women. I mean, there's not a lot of women sort of coming in at, at the early levels, but there, it, it gets much thinner as you go up. And so what that means is it becomes a little bit more difficult to have somebody pull you up through that ladder. Um, so I think in, in one sense, that would just be critical. 
you know, the, the more women leadership, female leadership that we have, um, it becomes much more normal to have somebody pull you up through the, through the workplace in the same way as you kind of have this old boys network. Um, I, you know, I think though the, the workplaces are still in transition and, and you see this all the time. You go to a conference, you have a panel full of men and it's very different when you have a man call for equality and when you have a woman calling for equality, right? Um, so, you know, we do have this recognition that at a lot of these conferences, it would be nice to have more women. Um, but it's a little bit different when you have a woman in power who is able then to make that happen and not just kind of say it and hope for the best, um, which, I, which I think is, is what happens a lot of the time. Um, and, and I guess the, the, the last thing that, that I think is, is really important about this is that organizations learn from each other. So it's not just about visibility in these positions. It's that organizations are looking at each other and kind of going, oh, okay, right they're moving ahead and doing this thing, maybe I should do that too. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot, the, the, if you look at the WTO leadership, right? The WTO leadership was historically European and male. Um, then increasingly it became a little bit more diverse uh, in terms of bringing in developing countries. Um, and now we have, you know, finally a representation of a woman at the head. Um, so, so I think this is really exactly the time to do this. We're at a pretty unique time in history. Uh, and, and I think that this can have a lot of really important changes in, in these ways, both within the workplace and in the industry more generally. Could you tell us a little bit about the research that you were doing and how it was to, to gather all this information for the paper? Sure. So we gather data um, from different organizations' websites. And so basically most of the data um, that we collected were available publicly um, so or from open sources. So we looked at their websites, uh, their annual or internal reports, press releases. That's where we mostly gathered our data from. We also submitted multiple requests to the UN DAG um, library for information that we could not obtain online or were just not available from open sources, such as the candidates' information, for, especially for the ones who are in high-level positions, um, and also former leaders um, in the United Nations, um, especially the ones who served prior to the internet. So those information were really difficult to obtain and it was also challenging to obtain access to complete data uh, because when we do reach out, they would inform us that it was confidential or sometimes it's just simply unavailable because of how old it is. How transparent are the organizations? It seemed like, you know, you were searching for publicly available information, but I mean, how open were they when you were contacting them for additional information? So the data is very scattered and what we did uh, find out that some of the organizations are not sure that they can disclose this information or they're sure they cannot disclose this information. Maybe they didn't even know themselves what was the exact information. Zyra has discovered a number of resources available publicly. And uh, also, as most of our data set is covering the UN, uh, she also addressed the UN library, where this data, we would assume, should be actually collected when it's at least publicly available. But 
it happened so that no, apparently this such data is not really gathered anywhere. And that's the novelty of our paper that we are centralizing this scattered information, uh, this scattered data. We are not just providing anecdotal evidence, we are trying to make the story global. Well, what does transparency look like then in the future, if that's what we're um, you know, asking for from these organizations, what does that look like? Well, I would say if you if you look at a lot of these organizations, they do already have these programs that are meant to promote women and, and promote diversity in the workplace. For example, the UN has the UN swap program, and certainly the, the private sector has programs like this. The question in, in my mind is, how effective are they? Because I, I don't often see any evaluations of them. Over to you, Maria, if you wanted to add any comments. So in that regard, UNSWAP is a good program that is promoting transparency on gender equality in organizations, and they do periodic reviews. Obviously, this should be scaled up, it should be more detailed, and it should be publicly accessible. Otherwise, as, as we discussed, it's actually not very efficient. Was there anything that you could rely on that was done in the past or, or no? So there, there were some studies that have been done, but they primarily focused on very narrow, a very narrow window of a few UN organizations. And most of the data that we did see didn't dive into it the same way we did. So if you have women leaders, where are they coming from? How are they being nominated? Are they being nominated? Who is nominating them? And then comparing that also to many of the countries who have these policies for equity, for the institutions that have policies for equity. But then when you started to look at actually what happened, we weren't seeing that that was there. The papers the, that, that we read before that we found, as I said, really were narrowly focused. And they, they didn't look at the candidate pools, especially. So I think we kind of took it one layer deeper. Um, and I think that by looking at what we found, it adds this unique uh, data set to the research body that just had not been out there before. So when we went from the idea of having a blog to the idea of having something bigger, Nicole was telling us like, but yes, this has been looked at in the business world. Yes, that's how it's in management. And we found that there is a lack of uh, such understanding or even looking systematically into such questions in the global governance area, in the area of the UN and international governmental organizations. I would just add, you know, uh, Maria is absolutely right. One of the things we found is that lots and lots of studies in corporate worlds being in the United States or in Spain or in the EU, mostly in the developed world, but we found plenty of information about women in leadership positions there and how they might move forward, but there just was a dearth with respect to international organizations. And again, we went beyond the UN simply because we feel like all of these organizations represent a, they represent the population and half the population in the world is women. And so we need to take a look at those organizations and hold them accountable using facts. And you studied 129 organizations, is that right? 
Originally, we were only looking at three, then we realized that it should be 30. And yes, we ended up at 129, but the sky is the limit. Maybe in the next iteration, we will make it even bigger. So this expands obviously beyond just the, the trade organizations or the organizations in the trade space. What made you expand to this very broad list of, um, of organizations? Right. So when we, we started looking first at the, the Holy Trinity, I guess, in Geneva, the three big uh, international organizations. But as we started looking at it, we kind of said, well, what's going on elsewhere? And then we added a few more. And then we added a few more. And as we started expanding it, we realized, wait a minute, all of the, and I really think it's part of the, the, the reason was because we have all of these organizations which have focused on gender parity, which have made statements about equality, which have said that this is what they're trying to do. But when reality comes down, they are not doing it. And we also found from our data that those organizations which did have women in leadership positions were generally the ones who had previously at some point had a woman in that position. When we started doing the um, you know, economic analysis or putting the, the equations to the data, that's when we found that just having women in the pool, in the pool of nominees, increased the, the percentage chance of having a female leader tremendously. So I think that it was learning as we went along was instrumental and, and it also made us want to look and see, well, what are these other organizations doing? And because it is more than just, you know, the major trading organizations that implement trade international policy, it all eventually comes down to some element involved in trade, whether it's in goods or services. And so we expanded it to include a lot of organizations. We started with trade and we quite quickly, as Nicole is saying, uh, quite quickly learned that we have to go way further than just the simple trade organizations. It did not get better when we expanded from 30 to 129. Spoiler. I mean, when I first did um, the research, uh, the initial research, I, I, I was surprised to be honest. I mean, I've heard about um, organizations and countries that have participated in gender um, equity commitments. So I guess I naively thought that that was um, the case, that women were actually starting to be represented in leadership positions. But when I saw the numbers, I, I warned Nicole and I told her that um, it was very depressing and upsetting. And so that kind of made me even more um, interested in this research. But um, when we started to expand the data, then that's when I was kind of seeing also that, I mean, I, I noticed that it's the same type, I mean, it's the same organizations where women were actually um, appointed or elected in. For me, initially it was startling, but then when we started looking deeper and seeing just how few women were being nominated or were in leadership positions, as Zyra said, it was depressing. It was really depressing. And I also think for it, the, one of the reasons why this is important literature is because it does show the hypocrisy of words and statements versus actions and deeds. Talking about actions, like one of the key basic facts of the paper is that from over 600 appointments that were done in this 129 organizations, quarter were actually women. 
And most of them happened in the same organizations, meaning that 49, if I remember correctly, 49 organizations never have had a woman leader. So this quarter of appointments happened not at all evenly in different organizations and women were distributed in the few organizations which were considered woman-friendly. The research does show um, that among the 624 uh, leadership appointments among the 129 interna international organizations that we researched um, between in yeah, between 1990 and um, 2020, women were uh, appointed 158 times, but only in 69 institutions. Um, and for our sample of 65 election rounds, there were no women candidates in 26 rounds which suggests that there's some selection bias among the candidates in um, selection. That's such an interesting point. I, I really like that point because it, it encapsulates the fact that there are only certain institutions that are appointing women, even considering women, much less appointing them. Um, so yeah, this, this data is just, it was eye-opening looking at a lot of this. Yeah, I think the conclusion that hit home most for me was that there are um, certain NGOs, IGOs, UN organizations that have become almost the parking place for women. And I think that it's to me, you know, being from an American perspective, that's sort of how teachers, right? Teachers became the profession for women. Nursing became the profession for women. That doesn't mean that men can't nurture or teach our children as well, but it, it's almost as if some of these organizations have become the place to, to, to send your women. And there are instances in some of the other studies that we read, for example, where there are certain countries who have put in quotas. The governments have put in quotas and they've said, we're gonna have this many women as part of our, our leadership. And when they have put the women in there, despite there being a bias against uh, having women in those leadership positions by men and by women, once the women have gotten in there, they have found that there's been less corruption, there's been more of a community focus, and there's been an, a, a, a almost a hundredfold increase in the willingness to have a female in that leadership position again. So when if you see it on the micro level, and then you're not seeing it at the macro level, to me it was astonishing that these are organizations that are making decisions for countries that can be very impactful, and to deny the ability or to deny the the brain power and the the leadership that might be available from half the population, I think is was to me very shocking. So, you know, that that amazed me. I, I was not happy that we have parking places for women in leadership, but I'm glad to see, as we have seen over the last couple of years, that we have female or women leaders at some of the most prominent international organizations. And I think that hopefully, hopefully that's going to change the tenor for other IGOs going forward. So then we'll transition to Alyssa. Um, what was one of the most um, important findings or conclusions for you? 
the conclusion that I thought was particularly interesting was the impact of having a woman leader on gender equality in the general staff level of the institution that we were looking at. So when you look at the first instance of having a woman leader, so the institution has never had a, a female leader before and one is appointed, there's not much of an impact on gender equality in, in the staff uh, more broadly. But when there is a history of appointing women in leadership positions in an institution, we do see gender equality improving in the institution. So it has this, this positive effect, but not in the first instance. So this underscores the importance of having repeated uh, women leaders over time. Zyra, what was the most um, impactful conclusion for you? Sure. Um, so we found that um, for institutions that did have women leaders, uh, we found that they are in fact more likely to appoint um, women as second in command. And Maria, same question to you. There is a lot of things I can say about the paper, but I guess the most upsetting conclusion that I have gotten for myself is that there is a clear post dependency in the history of institutions that aspiring to have gender equality, aspiring to be gender equal in what they do does not necessarily mean that women will really be represented in the organizations and especially in the leadership. Basically what we found that to change the picture, there needs to be an effort, there needs to be a sort of systematic move to appoint women to the organizations where there has not been a woman leader. And the data that we have managed together show that yes, in half of the appointments, there is no women even at all considered. But there are women in the other half, but they are not given sufficient consideration in being elected for, to these institutions. And they're giving more consideration and actual serious consideration only in the institutions where there had been a woman leader before. The math is telling us that the odds of a woman candidate being elected in a woman-led institution are three or four times more than the, the odds of a woman being elected in the womanless organization. You know, I, I support what Maria said. I thought that was particularly interesting when you're talking about the, the pool of nominees. So are women just put in the pool of nominees to uh, check a box to make sure that there is a woman in the pool? Um, or are they actually being considered as real candidates uh, up for this position? And, and this is a question that, that we see all over the place. So, you know, I, I, I thought it was great that we were able to include this in, in the research as well and, and show this conclusion. So then, you know, looking forward to the future, I mean, where do we go from here? I would say the first place is to update the data. Because, you know, as we've talked about, the, the data at this point in the working paper goes to 2020. 
Um, but the challenge here is what we saw in the last couple of years is there has been this sort of headline promotion of women to heads of organizations, particularly in multilateral organizations. And so it'll be pretty interesting to update the data with that and, and to see, does it, does it change any of our conclusions? I suspect the answer will be no, um, but I hope that the answer might be yes. Do you have any examples? Absolutely. So in, in the time since we've published the paper, we actually had two very high profile organizations that appointed women um, in the WTO. Now, for the first time, we have a woman leader, Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Iwela, and at UNCTAD, uh, we have Rebecca Greenspan. So, so these, are, these are two very exciting uh, opportunities to add to the data, and, and we're excited to do it. So I think, where do we go from here? We've, we've put out the paper, we've shown the data, now we've got proof. We don't have anecdotes. So my hope is that this uh, paper is used to highlight that um, we have this inequality, despite all of the efforts and words about having equality, that the organizations themselves are able to, to self-reflect. I'm hoping that the you know, one of the things that we may you know, see is that these organizations hopefully see our research, they're able to understand that they have some issues and they're able to move forward. I don't know um, if there might be a version two paper. Uh, we'll have to see. And I would love to see a version two paper with different conclusions. That would be, that would set my heart free. I would love to see that. So maybe, maybe we'll see that. One of the key takeaways for me is that we need to make people aware of this paper, of this research and of the non-anecdotal evidence that we gathered because this actually highlights the need to nurture more women leadership from inside because women who become leaders, they don't come from yesterday nowhere. They actually get this experience somewhere, be it in their home country, be it in an international organization, be it in private sector and then transferring it to represent or big topics or countries but they have to be nurtured. They have to be told that they can be leaders, that they have the chance to actually bring the change to the world, bring the change to being heard globally on certain issues. Because we all know the statistics, women are treated as minorities, but they are actually 51% of the world. Moreover, we may actually hope that when women are sufficiently represented, there is higher inclusion to hear voices from all over the world. And maybe there is a chance to change the system that we have right now in dealing with international issues. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Maria, Alyssa, Nicole, and Zyra for sharing the data and outcomes of your research with us at the Trade Experts podcast. We hope to have you back when you update the data uh, with the hope to see changes in the near future with regards to women leaders in international organizations. Keep an eye out for the published paper. And of course, we will let you know if you follow Trade Experts on Twitter, we will definitely share that information as soon as it is published. The Trade Experts podcast is hosted by me, Kelly Kemach, 
and produced by both Belen, Gracia, and myself. If you would like to know more about the Trade Experts, you can find us online at tradeexperts.org. That's T-R-A-D-E-E-X-P-E-R-E-T-T-E-S dot O-R-G. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Join us.